0: Seven of the bad news um and so you you entered right in the the midst of uh, chapter 1 verse 18 to chapter 3 20 there is not much good news um, involved in those like a whole 70 something verses probably but and before we pray I think it'd just be right to read the good news that is the bookend of all the bad news um there and i don't know that you could really have a better summary of the gospel um chapter one in romans 16 and 17 probably could say i imagine the um the best summary of the whole book or the theme of the whole book would be uh in here probably greg rents could you be a reader i know you love this passage one sixteen 16 and 17 before we pray
1: yeah I'd be happy to for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Good, so just
0: in review, the righteousness from God that comes to us, the righteousness of God, that would be the theme of the whole book. And it's only by faith, and he is going to be very convincing uh, that is only going to be by faith that anyone comes to, to love and know Christ. And then, we are three weeks away from this, but um, I think someone rightly said, the most important paragraph ever written in human history, right here, chapter 3, 21 um, to 26. Um, Josh. Could you read that? This is just so good. And then we'll pray and, and get to work on some bad news. Sure.
2: Verse 21, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus.
0: Good. 24 again. We are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that came that is in Christ Jesus Grant would you pray for us and uh, we'll get to work sure
3: Heavenly Father thank you for once again allowing us to gather safely as a local body and to to discuss your word in Romans Father help us to rightly understand it um, and for the discussion to be mutually encouraging to all that are involved Father and I pray that your spirit would move on us uh, convict us of sin lead us to confession And also joy and future obedience, Father. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Mm, Amen. Good deal. Thanks. Um, You may have, when you came in, I hope, you had two exhibits. Exhibit A, 41 Evidences of Pride. Those will get you. Um, There's one that I don't, I think there's one that says, are you like excessively shy? I'm fine with that one. The other 40 I have to answer yes to, which is not the right answer. Right? And then... Secondly is called, uh, what's that one called? Undiscerned Spiritual Pride. Yeah, undiscerned Spiritual Pride. And that's Johnny Edwards' uh, really, really a fascinating um, just short summary of how this is what gets us. Maybe more than anything else, if you really love Jesus and want to follow Jesus, this may be the number one uh, thing to fight. And the reason that we gave you that This week is just that chapter 2 seems to be the issue that the Jews are fighting. They have a hypocrisy, they're judgmental, and we're finishing chapter 2 where it's a spiritual pride. They thought that they were in a lot better shape uh, than what they were. Exhibit C is the one I forgot to print for you that we really needed. And that is four pages of verses that talk about how what would be the advantage of remembering our indwelling sin. And um, I'll bring you a copy of that next week, Lord willing. Um, Zach, did it work to take if So if you want to, you can take a look at uh, Group Me, the Romans one or the other one? Regular Group Me? Romans group. Romans group Me. If you have that one, you can take a look and you may be able to kind of follow along. But we're going to share a few verses, a few reasons of why it's really good. It seems like the Jews weren't looking at their indwelling sin, but um, but how hopeful it would be if we um, were a little more aware of our indwelling sin. Alan, could you tell us about, I know you've been feasting on um, John Owen a little bit, and uh, and Owen had a ton to say on that. Yeah, be careful what you t- say around Jerry. I knew <laughs>
1: Jerry had been working on this, so yeah. I, I was looking at chapter. I was doing a Bible, a book study with a couple of guys on, we started chapter 12 and Owen he wants us to do two things, he wants us to think about the majesty of God and how awesome God is, but while we're doing that also keep an eye on how inadequate we are, and he writes uh, use and exercise yourself to such meditations as may serve to fill you at all times with self abasement and thoughts of your own vileness, of course self abasement is when you humiliated yourself to the point where you're humiliated about your condition Uh, he puts he puts be much in thoughtfulness of the excellence of the majesty of God and your infinite inconceivable distance from him many thoughts of it cannot fill you with a sense of your own vileness which strikes a deep root at your any indwelling sin and then he goes to he goes to three he goes to three little verses real quick he he goes to Job 42 5 and 6 where Job said I heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you, therefore I despise myself and repent in, in dust and ashes. So Job, when he got a vision of who God was, it also gave him a more clear vision of who he was. Then he went to Habakkuk 3 and where he talked about in 16 where his body trembles, his lips quiver, rottenness entered his bones, his legs trembled. Yet he said, yet I will rejoice in the Lord and I will take joy in the God of my salvation. So in Habakkuk, when he got a clear glimpse of who he was, it also elevated who God was. And then, of course, he, he closes in Proverbs 30 and when he just says, you know, those verses where surely I'm too stupid to be a man. I have not the understanding of a man. I have not learned wisdom. And so uh, this is what Owen says. He says, be in much thoughts of this nature to abase the pride of your heart, to keep your soul humble within you. There is nothing that will render you a greater indisposition to be imposed on by the deceits of sin in such a frame of heart think greatly of the greatness of god so owen's saying as you battle sin if you'll concentrate on his majesty and then then also in your indwelling sin your depravity that, that that humility will help you in your struggle with sin he says think much of your inadequateness with him and owen's sometimes hard to understand though you know enough to keep you low and humble he says yet how little of portion is it that you actually know of him he said think how much you, little you know of him and what if you knew more then he, he closes with some questions he says, labor also to take down the pride of your heart. He says, What do you know of God? And then he puts, How little a portion is it? with an exclamation point. He said, How immense is His He, is he in His nature? And then he asked two more questions Can you look without terror in the abyss of eternity? And can you not bear the, the rays of His glorious being? Hmm. Yeah,
0: it's really good. So the, it's, and I wonder if it's not necessarily a balance. I don't think it's a 50 50 deal where we ought to understand our own sin and in the gospel obviously but i think we need to put the foot on the accelerator on both of those have a better understanding of our own sin all the time not 50 50 100 percent understanding of our own uh indwelling sin let's call it that maybe rather than depravity and our indwelling sin but also on the gospel and and just how great the gospel how big the cross becomes when we consider the stuff that uh Owen's talking about, thanks Al for kind of helping us out there. Um, Chapter 2, really when we get to it, uh, Mark describes it as the older brother, younger brother, younger brother. uh, You remember under Prodigal Son was uh, like the chapter 1, okay? Sex, drugs, rock and roll brother who's just out to lunch and they want other people to um, sin with them, right? Verse 32. Chapter 2, though, is this self-righteousness. Self-righteousness, hypocrisy, judgmental. That's the older brother. He never gets to the party, does he? He says, nope, um, I, you didn't even ever give me a goat, is his quote. <laughs> he just is mad, and he is not even going to join the party for the younger brother. Right? And so that's the idea that we're dealing with um that we're dealing with here and so the what owen's talking about is uh having a better <clears throat> understanding of our sin and uh, that's lord willing. and i should have brought that packet but we'll bring you uh, a bunch of verses on that next week but grant um oh josh could you start us about a couple of them that you see and the importance of this, uh, of understanding this.
2: Yeah, can I just jump in and make one quick book review? I feel like I'm doing this every couple of weeks. But this book, The Enemy Within, by Chris Lungard, is a really um, accessible but I think in-depth treatment of Owen, kind of a summary of his thoughts on indwelling sin, the nature of temptation. It's not an abridgment of Owen. It's totally Lungard's own work and thought, but he's building... From Owen very heavily. I mean it's phenomenal. Um, I think Zach Wood has been reading it a little bit, really enjoying it. Uh, I read it a couple years ago and just the categories that Owen presents have still stuck with me. We'll try to get some of those to
0: to make available.
2: Yeah so maybe jumping into it. Romans 1 and 2 and into 3 present the case that all of man is sinful before a holy God. We have no excuse. Um, When we think about the timeline of our own Christian life at regeneration, we, the Spirit takes up dwelling inside of us, but we still have this old uh, nature within us, indwelling sin, for, for God in His wisdom doesn't remove our indwelling sin from us at that point. Uh, the Bible calls this our, our old man, um, our, our fleshly or sinful thoughts and tendencies are still with us, and this is kind of the, the growth chart or the trajectory of the Christian life um, in sanctification. We're trying to Put off our old man and our old sinful habits and ways and put on the new man and become more like Christ. And so uh, I'm going to just go through a couple of verses here. The first one in, is John 17:17. 17, 17. This is at the end of the Upper Room Discourse with Jesus and his disciples. And he um, prays for his disciples. And the verse reads like this. Sanctify them in truth. Thy word is truth. And so we think about sanctification, this word is kind of to be set apart for a special purpose, and uh, that's, that's what our life is about now when we, when we become believers, where we have this special calling to grow in our Christ-likeness. And this process is really informed by the Word of God. That's our, uh, our launch point for how we know uh, what to be like, uh, how we know what sin to fight against. It's how we know God, it's how we know ourselves. Um, Hebrews 4.12 says that the Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, revealing the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And so God's Word is His revealed truth to us, and, and nowhere else can we go to understand who we are and, and who God is. His Word functions like a mirror revealing what we're like. Second um, Peter 1.3 says that uh, it, His divine power contains all things needed for life, and for godliness and so god's word is unique uh, in that it, it truly does reveal our sin and that's where we must go i think to get an understanding of who we are um, the next verse john 8 or you guys have any thoughts no, it's on that is
0: sufficient in that isn't, it? isn't yes. that a little bit of the battle nowadays maybe even in counseling would you say could you kind of, uh, could you warn us about that or kind of comment on that that sometimes um, so isn't seen as sufficient
2: yeah um that's a great point i do think a lot of times in in the counseling world today even in christian counseling god's word is kind of demeaned or it's put aside as something that's not really relevant to the day-to-day working of of our life but uh, we know that it is sufficient for all of life and godliness and um, contains all that we need to know all the divine words that we need for living our christian life um yeah, that, I think that's a great... I appreciate you bringing that up, but John, you want me to go ahead and jump to yeah, John yeah, 8? please. Uh, John 8, 31 and 32, uh, a little bit earlier in the Gospel of John, Jesus says, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. I think he's talking here not just about facts, or not just about a, a body of knowledge, but his entire <clears throat> teaching, and so when we're Fighting sin, fighting the indwelling sins of the flesh, we've got to abide in Jesus' words. And I think this carries the idea to abide is to practice, to, to hold fast, to obey to the teaching of our Lord. And as a result of that, we will know divine truth and we will be set free
0: from sin's bondage. Um. <coughs> Which is the great news about this indwelling sin is that we're not bound to it anymore. In June, we will feast in Romans six, and Romans six is all about that. We are no longer slaves to this. We have positionally, we have been set free. So I think Paul would say, "So act like, it. right? Live like that. You're free from it. Don't go back to that well. There ain't anything good in there. And uh, and that's what we've been set free from. It. The truth will set us free. And the truth of the matter is, you have been declared righteous. What we just read in Romans uh, three twenty four. We've been justified, and that is super thorough. Grant, help us with, how about that Jeremiah seventeen nine? Is that where you were going to start? Uh, I
3: Did wasn't, I throw you off? No, I can start there.
0: Okay, let's, let's do. That's This is uh, a convicting verse, uh, but will set us on a good path here, I think.
3: Yeah, so in the packet, it would be uh, Jeremiah seventeen nine. My heart is quick to justify almost any sin. And then the verse, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And so we know that the, the prophet Jeremiah is not referring to clogged arteries when he's talking about uh, mm-hmm. a wicked or desperately sick heart, but the seat of our desires would be what he's discussing. Like where our desires come from. And there's great deception that happens um, where our hearts will let us believe the course that we are on is righteous and true, even, even when it's not. And Mr. Jerry, you've said this a million times uh, that the Disney adage or the Disney movie of follow your own heart. Um, that if you do that and you're true to yourself that your life will be pure and have meaning and everything will work out in the end if you're true to yourself follow your heart uh, and scripture would go against that and say that's that's the quickest way on the path to hell would be to follow your own heart which um, is terrible that the world thinks following your heart is good uh, mankind our hearts are sick not just a little bit but we see from Jeremiah that desperately sick desperately sick it's not just a little bit but Our hearts were desperately sick before we are regenerated, and unbelievers' hearts are still desperately sick. It affects every aspect of their life there, all faculties, their mind, how they think, how we thought. Um, Mankind is depraved, meaning sin has infected and affected all aspects of the person. There's not one part of us that, that was free from the corrupting power of sin. And even believers who have a new heart and new desires must constantly use Scripture to evaluate what we're doing to make sure we're walking in a manner that is pleasing to God. So I think even with the new nature, we constantly correct um, our, our desires and compare them to the word of God. Don't just follow uh, a whims of our heart. I yeah, think it be. I
0: think I've told you about the uh, ninth grade girl that we were talking about uh, this kind of thing. And she said, oh, no, I have a follow your heart poster on the wall. I better go take that thing down. Mm-hmm. So if you have the poster, first of all, I'll go take it down. Second of all, which I don't think you probably do, but I think we just accidentally get there, right? Not accidentally. We're there too often, where we are following our heart and we get conned, and and then we're convicted. And so if we're thinking that that's our tendency, then we may be quicker to to not go there. Grant, what else did you have from a different?
3: Yeah, I wanted to go back up to 1 John 4.19. So, we love because he first loved us. And in the packet, Mr. Jerry, you wrote, we become more amazed and aware of the love of Christ. So, I think the question would be, why does focusing on how sinful we were before salvation and the propensity towards indwelling sin after, how is that helpful to us to do that? And the answer would be, we become more amazed and aware of the love of Christ. So, if we think about the state that you are in, before you became a Christian, were you very lovable? at all. I know that I was not very lovable. Uh, My deepest person was extremely unlovable and the person that I presented to the world was even frequently unlovable. Even as much as I feared man and tried to please people, I was still very unlovable. Uh, But in that state God loved me enough to save me at great cost. He united me to his son in his death. He clothed me in his righteousness. He promises me eternal life with him in a glorified state, not just as his subject but also as his son. He even adopted me. He didn't just pull me out of the uh, muck of my own sin and send me on my merry way, uh, forgiving me. He adopted me. The king didn't just forgive me of my crimes and send me out of his throne room with a stern look and a sin no more comment. He said, you are now my son. Come and sit at my table. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think thinking on this could dry up a lot of animosity that we have towards others, especially unbelievers when we're discussing with them because we were once just like that. Uh, And it can inspire great love in me, I know, towards those who are like I was. That mercy that God showed me can manifest in great love towards others even when they're unlovable, I think. And love like this is costly. It has little to no reward back when you love someone like this. Uh, And I think it only can be accomplished through the Holy Spirit. It's not a natural thing to do. Um, And so I think we have to rely on the Holy Spirit to be able to do that. And I think one other thing is thinking about how amazing it is that our Lord in his perfection chose love instead of wrath for us. Um, I think it can be helpful to think about standing before the Lord Jesus uh, and him knowing everything about you, every secret thought, intention, action, word, or deed that you ever done or ever will do, uh, and standing before him with that knowledge and in him choosing to love you instead of wrath, choosing to change you instead of leaving you in your sin and forsaking you. I think that can inspire great love to those who are unlovable.
0: Yeah, wow. A couple weeks ago in Romans 2, 5, we looked at how every unbeliever is <coughs> storing up God's wrath. And that would be us too except He, we love him because he first loved us. Unbelievable. So just incredible to think about. Josh, the serious counseling implications on the James 1, 14, too. Is that where you're going next? I
2: can. Yeah, yeah please big do. Time this is implications. So, good. so James one, fourteen and fifteen, uh, continuing in our survey here on indwelling sin, this verse really gives us an understanding of temptation and kind of peels the layers back into the human heart and x rays what temptation really looks like, sort of in in these three steps. So verse fourteen starts James writes, Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So you see sort of the progression there of temptation to death. And I think James is deliberately using fishing language here. He's painting this picture of a bait or a trap being laid, a bait being set, and that word desire, uh, when, he, when he is lured and enticed by his own desire, first I, I think our, our sinful temptations and what we struggle with is is unique to each individual person. There are some overarching universal norms for, for human sin, but each uh, his own desire, I think it works out in different ways for different people. Um, there are some external influences that are not determinative, but certainly our upbringing might have a role to play in that, our environment may be a a, a small role or at least some influential power. But notice here where James lands, uh, temptation is not a result of something external. We, We can't cop out with the excuse that the devil made me do it. He says each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. And that, that desire could be, you know, a lustful craving, uh, a, a desire to f- fulfill um, some kind of um, internal uh, craving for something. Um, but also notice that this temptation ultimately ends in death. When, 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 uh, when the desire is conceived, then it gives birth to sin, and ultimately its end result is death. And so I think... We've got to say we've got to fight temptation early. We want to fight it and cut it off at the root when, uh, when we're first tempted. We know that Jesus was tempted but was without sin in every way. So there, there is a way where we can face an external temptation and then run to Christ, um, you know, reject that temptation, and still not sin. It's when it conceives in the heart uh, where I think it enters sinful territory.
0: Good. Do so we need to know that we're being lured all day long? There's the lure. Wouldn't you say, Josh, it's not necessarily the lure that's the problem. It's my desire that's the problem. That's right. The different lures will be out there, and they're going to be out there all day, but I have to realize that my desire will be lured, and sin never is taking a play off. Right. right? Never taking a day off. Mark said that, and I thought that was so good the other day. uh, Genesis 4-7. Sin is crouching at your door, looking for an opportune time. And I think by we know that from Scripture, but don't you know that in your own life, how it clobbers you day in and day out when you're get blindsided, and uh, and the less we're blindsided and the more we're aware, then Satan's not going to outwit us as often, and uh, and we won't get caught off guard. Grant, you've got. Do you want to help us feast on a couple more of yours? Sure. Yeah. Do
3: you have a particular one or just no? Go ahead. Just go. Okay. So, um, I think the next one would be. Matthew twelve thirty four, 34, uh, Jesus indicting uh, religious hypocrites. He says, you brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Uh, and then on the packet, the title would be, think before you speak, then don't speak everything that you think. And I'm glad, Josh, you just discussed the temptation passage in James. I think uh, for indwelling sin, our flesh, one of the biggest temptations can be to manifest The evil in our hearts through the tongue and how we speak uh, to others because we know that the principle from this verse that out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks so it's not just something abnormal when we say something that's caustic or bitter or biting towards someone it's reflecting what's actually in our heart towards that person um i think that we should carefully measure the things we say to ensure to the best of our ability that the most excellent things are said in any given situation um, and this is an an indicting thing to think on because we know from James that it's incredibly difficult to tame the tongue mm-hmm. uh, It can burn down uh, many a forest with the things that we say and it's hard to uh, steer it in an excellent direction frequently, so uh, It's a difficult task for us, but it's not one that we can't do It's one that we definitely can do through the power of the Spirit uh, And how we speak to others shows what's in our hearts if we slander and gossip um, We show our envy and cowardice and fear, and we show the cruelty in our hearts when we speak harshly to those that we claim to love. Um, A a desire for harm is frequently fulfilled on the tongue. Unbelievers, we we probably experience this on a daily basis, unbelievers will frequently show the evil in their heart through the tongues, and I think what an example we can be to them to not replicate that, but to show purity and truth coming from our heart, worked by the Holy Spirit by the way that we speak to them uh, in a pure and upright way, avoiding slanderous you Remember lies. how Manuel
0: didn't gossip? That's right. Jose, uh, part of his testimony, Jose, well I might be talking about people that you guys don't remember, The two of the just <laughs> incredible members of our church early on, Jose Rodriguez uh, who most of you remember, came to love and know Christ through, partially through Manuel's influence on him in the lab because Manuel didn't gossip and I, and i just love that that was just so he just had a no gossip uh mentality and if anybody else gossiped he was non-participatory and uh and, and grant noticed said i mean uh grant probably grandpa noticed too but um uh, jose noticed and uh and said something different about this guy i want to be like him, and uh, so i just huge huge opportunities we have every day to be different than the world in this one. Give us another one, Greg.
3: Yeah, next one be Matthew twenty-two 39. Um, let's see, I don't think I have the whole verse here, but second commandment, and a second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So it's coming from the two great uh, fulfillments of the law, be to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then to love your neighbor uh, as yourself. And this commandment has always been a difficult one for me to think about, um, because I'm supposed to love my neighbor as myself truly. That, that is such a statement. Um, that means I'm to seek their highest good in all circumstances and treat them according to God's standard in all things, which is a monumental, monumental task. Uh, it doesn't mean I don't think we treat them as we wish to be treated, but I think we should treat them according to God's standard, which is even higher a lot of times than what we wish to be treated. Um, And this obviously doesn't mean we think of our neighbor all the time and do everything for them that we should be doing for ourselves in a given day, but it does mean that we tell them the truth, I think. Frequently, I shy away from telling my neighbors the truth because of how I think it will be um, received. We should tell them the truth, and we should seek their eternal good as well as treat them justly in the time that we have together in the world with them regardless of how they receive our message of uh, the gospel. And we know that, um, the Phil Johnson says this, we know that the first great commandment is to love the Lord with all our heart, mind, and strength. And Jesus says the second one is like it. And I thought that was interesting. How is the second one like the first? Um, but he says, but there's another sense in which the second great commandment is just like the first. Loving one's neighbor is simply the natural and necessary extension of true, wholehearted love for God because your neighbor is made in the image of God. So I think if we truly love God, we will... Try our best to truly love our neighbor in purity uh, and in truth as well. Um, And I think our temptation will be to view what we need to do, uh, I know mine is, what I need to do on a daily basis, convenience, comfort, um, comfort emotionally, shyness, whatever it is. My temptation will be to not engage with my neighbor and to not love them by telling them the truth uh, and to treat them with respect and. Help them in any capacity I can. Mm-hmm. My, my natural tendency was be, to be think of myself as more important, more highly of myself, and to avoid them at all costs. Sometimes, Good.
0: yeah. Remember, we're thinking about how would being more aware of our indwelling sin help us here, Josh? Uh, if Dr. Cross was here, if your dad was here, we would have him uh, feast on these for us. Um, you, as his son, get to uh, uh, fill in because you heard the, um, the the lessons. Our depravity, don't you think? always redirects my focus to something other than the moment every one of dr cross's basketball players knows he often says be where your feet are right now you've got to pay attention to what you're doing right now because you and not yesterday and not tomorrow can you help us with all three of those kind of verses there in a row Uh, yes i can
2: try uh, we I, growing up with dad, he would one of his phrases was "press on." Press on. He was always saying "press on," where as we progress in the Christian life, we're looking ahead, we're looking forward to heaven ultimately, but we're not being defeated by yesterday's losses, or we're not dwelling on yesterday's wins even, especially in our in our sanctification and our spiritual life. Um, I feel like that's just been stamped on. Certainly, all of his basketball players, but it was true not only at practice, but at home as well. Um, I want to make sure we get to Carter, too. Oh, yeah, we're coming to Carter. <laughs> okay, yeah. So I don't want to drone on, but um, Ephesians 5 15 and 16 uh, is the next one. In, in that theme, Paul writes Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise making the best use of the time because the days are evil. And so Paul grounds our our present uh, use of our time in the reality that the days are evil. We know that the prince of the power of the air uh, rules. Um, Certainly he's only been given what God has given him to do. But because the days are evil, we must be wise in how we use our time. We can't be worrying about things to come as Matthew 6 says, and we have to realize that our days are numbered, and we have just one life to store up treasure in heaven. Um, We don't know when our uh, life will end, and so I think that should spur us on to use the time that God's given us in a useful way, in a productive way, in a way that glorifies Him, um, where we're devoted to good works, um, serving God and serving our uh, serving our neighbor. I think Scott's going to dive into that in the second. Yeah, that he right? sure
0: is. Yeah, we have a feast coming with Scott here in a minute. The psalmist says, teach us to number our days aright that we would gain a heart of wisdom. Right? Let's know. We have a short, this is super short. We don't have very long yet. And we have 168 hours less than we had last week when we were here. <laughs> it is getting close, and so let's get busy. Right? We've got so much to do and so little time to do it. Right, and so this is why it's uh, exciting to think in that manner. Be where your feet are, get busy with whatever God's called you to, and go after it. And uh, and I live a little recklessly for Christ. I think in in that in that manner. Carter, two great ones here. Proverbs twenty seven seventeen. Help us there.
4: To people's criticisms, I think that there's a natural bent to be sort of um, prideful when it comes to receiving uh, like some helpful uh, critique. Um, I think that pride within our hearts fosters uh, a tendency to respond as if our pride was offended in some way. Mm-hmm. So we take it really personally, and we take it like it's a shot at my um, real aim which is to follow my heart is a shot at the pride of my heart and proverbs 27:17 uh, says iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another so I think in light of indwelling sin it's actually something to be deeply um, grateful for and to rejoice in is that we have others who are able to look inside of us and to see us from the outside and um ultimately job us and press us on toward the end which is ultimately to be like Christ and that feeds into another point which is um, in line up in sin, circumstances aren't the biggest thing it's really everything that, that we're pressing through the Lord is intentionally forging us into what he wants us to be like his son and so we have reason to hope in Romans 8:28, where it says And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose.
0: Good. Yeah. To his students this week, I was really thankful. One one sophomore and one freshman just said, Romans 8.28 is kind of taking over their thinking. To where they're starting to operate. Hey, it's like, man, this has got to be good for me because otherwise it wouldn't be happening. How do you know it's good for you? Whatever's happening. Right? In the life of the believer win win, uh either way. And boy when you start living like that, that is a huge I think you're I think you're right, Carter. So it's not our circumstances that are the problem. It's that indwelling sin that makes me leery of my circumstances. Like, oh this one might not be right. Nope. It's right. It's the one God's um brought you, and it's gonna it's gonna be perfect. Now in Romans two, there's more here. Um on that same thing and we need to start in 17, chapter 2, verse 17, but if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed by the law, uh, and if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teaching a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others do you not teach yourself while you preach against stealing? Do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? Do you abhor idols? Do you rob temples? You boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed um, among the Gentiles because of you. Everybody hates hypocrisy, right? The unbeliever and the uh, the believer do. Um, it's harmful to the name of the Lord. We saw last week how everybody Is accountable to God for their sin everybody they're not accountable for what they don't know they're accountable for what they know the Jew had the law in a scroll the Gentile had the law written on their heart we saw so they all knew better they all knew better and 132 continues to get me they know God's righteous decree but they also know that they deserve death because of that the unbeliever and and knows that as well, and so there's we have that. Grant, could you help us here in uh, seventeen to twenty-four? Just kind of your thoughts as you as you've read this and thought about it. Just um, especially as the Jews were probably reading this, what's their response?
3: Yeah, so uh, we want to stay with Paul that he's building um, an argument. And so as he's building on that, he went from confronting the Gentiles who were suppressing the truth uh, and their unrighteousness, and now he's going to the Jews, turning both barrels again on the Jews for having the law and not keeping it. So um, if we see here in these verses that Paul doesn't speak negatively of the law in any way, so uh, starting in, in verse 20, An instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. So that's a huge uh, positive terms relating to the the law. And we know from Psalm 119 that's just a huge uh, chapter where the psalmist is talking about the beauty of God's law. So the problem is not the law. It's the fact that they have it and they require it of others and then they don't keep it themselves, which is uh, a horrendous thing. And we see that it has great uh, effect on evangelism. So the verse 24, for as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. And I think that literally means, you know, Jerry, what you what you talked about, everybody can see hypocrisy, non-believer and a believer. And when hypocrisy is committed by a religious person, it seems to have double harm for the name of God. And uh, today it would be the church. Douglas Mood talked about this. It's important to not read past the text and put yourself into it but I think today we can take sort of a general principle from this passage that um, and put ourselves in that place that religious hypocrisy and I don't think a believer can be a true hypocrite like the Pharisees were where everything that they did was evil while they required it of others but I think Christians can act hypocritically many times and it can be extremely harmful and we know when we've had conversations with others probably In context of evangelism one of the biggest uh, things that is always brought up is the church is just full of hypocrites or they've had some sort of negative uh, interaction with uh, someone at a church or church treated them poorly so it can be important and the response to that is always you know we don't want to see the truthfulness of something by the way the people act that hold to that teaching so the truthfulness of God's word is never dependent on how well the people hold it but it still has a huge impact on others, especially non-believers. It's always off-putting. And I know I've had that conversation with someone where we're talking about the existence of God, going through all these uh, intellectual arguments, but it always comes back down to something, either a sin issue or they were mistreated or they think of uh, the church as a bunch of hypocrites. So I think it can be important for us to take from this and to evaluate our life and see, are we holding standards for others that we're not keeping ourselves, Are we not keeping the standards of God even though we're requiring that in our mind of others? And I think you know little ways that we can see that is, I know at work I, I hold people to very high standards at my work, but then I can always justify why I don't need to be held to that same, same standard. If I expect someone to clean up after themselves when they use this piece of equipment and then I'm using it, I'm in a rush, well then I have a reason for why I don't need to be held to that same standard. And so we can see just little Inklings of hypocrisy creeping up in everyday life, but I think when it comes to big things like teaching against adultery and then committing adultery, theft, mm-hmm. and committing theft and that Paul's talking about here, it can be very damaging to the name of God.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Really like what you said there. No believer should be a wholesale hypocrite, but we all have, we've all committed acts of hypocrisy and can. Continue to do we would be wrong not to admit that good josh yeah
2: the so jumping into Romans, is are i guess kind of switching gears a little bit but 17 paul specifically calls out the jews for the first time in this whole chapter so it's probably been in the back of his mind all throughout chapter 2 but then 17 it's explicit he's going after these guys uh, but if you call yourself a jew and then going from 17 to 20 See if you see some of these. I'm just gonna list off a couple of bullets. I got these from Stuart Olyott. Um The Jews ha- ha- had a self-confidence and a pride based on the fact that they had the law. Mm-hmm. And then 25 to 29, he attacks based on the fact that they had this practice of circumcision. But look at these starting in 17. Um, Paul's attacking the Jews because they had a pridefulness and a self-confidence that God wouldn't judge them and that they would be saved for these reasons. Um, they, they called themselves Jews. They had a, a confidence in their ethnic status. Uh, they had possession of the law. The nations didn't have that. It was just given to Israel. Um, that was verse 17. And then they boasted in their relationship with God, verse 17, again. Um, they had a knowledge of God's will, and not only did they have a knowledge of it, but they agreed with it. They agreed with what the law said, and then they considered themselves competent teachers in verse 19. They said that they were a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth and yet 21 begins kind of his questioning Mm -hmm. and they didn't teach themselves. They had all these things and yet they failed to apply it to themselves personally and I think that's kind of a ripe question for us in terms of application is we have great doctrine, great teaching here at North Avenue Church. I mean some of the best around. The best period. Are we taking that teaching and applying it to our lives? Are we actually making progress based on the great doctrine that we're hearing or is it pu- puffing, up, puffing us up with empty thoughts and vain notions and uh, inflating our pride mm-hmm. um, I, I think there's a lot you know in a lot of ways we're kind of like the Jews or, or you know there's application for us as we potentially consider how we're like the Jews in mm-hmm. this way
0: no that boy that is for sure yeah and now look he's he's Got him to say, okay, you have the law, but you're hypocritical and judgmental about it. Now, finally, he's saying, they have one last uh, card, if you will, that they're going to play. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, Paul, but you forgot. We're circumcised, and those ah. Gentiles, those guys are still out there. You know, and you can just hear them. Nope, we are saved because of this, and we might say... Because we're baptized or because we're good church or because we do, we're nice. Whatever it is that people depend on, I'm afraid there's a lot of that, not just in the south, maybe all over. But uh, Mark was talking about a girl he uh, saw that had come to Westminster that was at the uh, wedding uh, yesterday, um, Gage's wedding. And he said she was positive. She was a believer. Um, All through, absolutely got to college Realize she wasn't, came to know the Lord Jesus. Thrilling, thrilling so- stories when that happens. 25 uh, to 29 to close this. And circumcision indeed is a value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his circumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from men, but from God. So kind of the bottom line here, this comes from Boyce. He says the Jews have that one last card to play. Even if we have all this evidence against us, at least we've been circumcised. We're good, right? Lay off of us. Similar to the problem we might have in the church today, circumcision, Paul says, doesn't save you or spare you from God's wrath. And he's putting some old traditional lies to bed right here and setting up the argument that salvation is through faith alone. True Jewishness is not an outward manner but a matter of the heart in 28, they must have been shocked. And I bet they were fired up when he says the Gentile is more of a Jew, if you will, if they're obeying the law, if they're truly a believer, than you are. Right? And that had to get them. Uh, the Gentile, even though uncircumcision, uncircumcised, is the tr- in the true sense more of a Jew, than, the, than, than that is only a Jew that's physically and ethnically. So it's a heart issue, not a circumcision issue in verse 29. The Holy Spirit's the only one that can regenerate the heart, and that's why um, the only one who really will trust and rely on God, um, the praise is going to be from God and not from man. So just to close this, Boyce's summary of Romans 2 I thought was really good. Number one. Knowledge alone, even the knowledge of the highest spiritual and moral principles, does not win God's approval. That was the Jew. Knowledge alone won't get you there. Number two, membership in a religious society. Whether the covenant nature of Israel or the visible church of Christ does not guarantee that we have obtained God's favor. Number three, the sacraments, either of the Old Testament or the New Testament, save no one. Number four, God judges according to truth and performance, and by that standard, every human being is condemned. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're going to get to that. Number five, if we are to be saved, it must be the labor of Jesus Christ applied to us by the Father through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And that's where he closes in verse 29. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit not by letter his praise is not from men but from god father we're so thankful for um this phenomenal passage and book Um, lord we realize that maybe we relate even more to the jew here than we did in chapter one uh to the gentile lord we pray that you would weed the hypocrisy out of us that others could see our good works and bring glory to you in heaven and would not be hindered by the sin uh, that so easily entangles us. Father, we thank you that you have freed us from this sin um, and that positionally we have been declared righteous. We pray that our actions would show that and that day in and day out, we would point uh, the unbeliever and fellow believers uh, to the Lord Jesus. Thank you for uh, the feast that we have. On your word and as we uh, think about Romans 3 um, for next week, Lord, I pray that we would just realize um, how incredibly blessed and uh, incredibly um, grateful we are because of the regeneration that you've done in our hearts for your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Next week, back in uh, Daniel and Romans.